So you can head on out right now. This morning we are in John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We'll read the first several uh, verses in this uh, passage. John 9. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this the one who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, this opportunity to... Uh, Study your word today, and I pray as you would, um, that you would open our hearts and minds to your word. I pray you convict our hearts in ways that we can change. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, most of you have, have heard of the space race um, between the U.S. And, and the former Soviet Union um, a number of decades ago. About, about that same time um, as uh, this was going on, there was another race going on. It was the race to produce um, universal faster-than-sound aircraft. Uh, in other words, uh, supersonic passenger uh, jets. Uh, and so if you're thinking, if your mind is going with, with this, with the story, you're thinking, okay, so that's the what? What airplane is that that used to be produced? The Concorde, right? Um, so this race um, to produce the supersonic jet was, was, uh, came between uh, the, the Soviet Union uh, and then this partnership between uh, England and France, as they were producing or working to produce the Concorde, and the United States as well. Boeing was trying to produce their own uh, supersonic jet. Um, and as this uh, went on for a couple of decades, um, and the, the, the Russian model that they were working on was called the Tupolev. So I don't know if you've, you've heard the Tupolev before or read anything about it, but they were, they were in a hurry to produce the Tupolev. And, and, and it kind of showed. Um, uh, it was not the most efficient, uh, wasn't the most well-designed um, uh, supersonic jet, but they actually were the first one to first uh, passenger plane to to fly at Mach two. Uh, they were about four. They beat the Concorde by about four months, um, getting it to the air, and I'll be able to demonstrate that it was able to to uh, make supersonic flight. Um, it was a plane that was much bigger. It was much louder. Had to run on. Um, the had to uh, run on, on, on afterburn the whole time. It was very hot in the cabin. Um, some accounts say that they, if the person you were sitting next to couldn't even hear you. You had to write on pieces of paper to talk to the person next to you. It was so loud inside the cabin. Um, 
the, it was, it was the, one of the major downfalls of this plane was that it was very prone to stress fractures too. Um, it, was, it did not last very long. Um, it, was a, it was the only passenger plane that had to deploy a parachute when it landed to, to help it slow down. Uh, and perhaps the most um, curious feature was that the, it was the only passenger jet that had ejection seats. Uh, the pilots had ejection seats in, in, the, in this plane, the Tupolev. Uh, so if you picture this, um, I'm just thinking through this, you, you think, okay, you're, you're sitting there flying, and all of a sudden you hit a little moment of crisis and turbulence, and, and your pilot comes on and says, this is your, your pilot speaking, we're hitting turbulence, and we're, we're out of here. And then they, t they hit their ejection seats. Not, not a great feature that you want to have on an airplane. It doesn't give you much... Uh, confidence in the, the pilots or the plane or the whole situation. Um, in our passage that we look at this morning, um, the, it seems that, that this, this, this man and his family were, were in a, a moment of crisis, a family crisis. Um, and it, it turns out that the parents, and, and we'll specifically look at the father um, of this family, uh, tended to be people pleasers. Instead of um, discipling, instead of working together as a family, in their, in their moment of crisis, um, the parents really bailed out. They hit the ejection seat. They, they left this man um, dangling in the wind. Uh, and so, but what we see here is the faith of this son, this, this man that was born blind, that he's unnamed here in this passage, um, was revealed to be true. Uh, it was revealed to be courageous. And there are several aspects that we're going to look at as we look at this man's faith. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is you can have faith that is patient during suffering. You can have faith that is patient during suffering. So the first several verses, um, Jesus is, is passing by and he sees a, blind, a man who is blind from birth. And it doesn't say how that, that Jesus knows that he was blind from birth or the disciples. Uh, perhaps he was a, a man that had been out there quite often. Uh, had had been sitting begging at the same spot, and maybe it was he was a well-known fixture in the community as someone who, yeah, he was he he's been blind from birth. Uh, so, uh, verse two, and his disciples asked him, saying, "Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind?" So it's kind of a curious question to ask. Uh, it's not a question that we typically think of. We don't typically think of somebody who has a disability or an illness or something, some other um, disabling feature, we don't typically, typically think, whoa, I wonder what sin that happened to them. But in the Jewish culture during this time, it was believed uh, that, that uh, those that had illnesses or those that had um, uh, crippling conditions had, had sinned or perhaps their parents had sinned. And there's no scripture, there's no Old Testament scripture that, that, that backs this up per se. This not, you would, even back then, they weren't to look at, at, at sin and sickness and, or a sickness and disease and to relate that to sin. Now, it is true that sometimes suffering is a result of sin um, and can be a consequence of sinful behavior. We think of Miriam uh, who complained against Moses and God um, gave her leprosy for a, a, amount of, a small amount of time. Or just um, several chapters back in John, the man who healed at the pool of Bethesda, uh, after he was healed, Jesus said, sin no more that you don't have something worse happen to you. 
Uh, even in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks to the uh, Corinthian church who had been, who was a very carnal, sinful church and, and said and warned them that uh, they were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, in um, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, there's mentions of uh, more of a, a national sense or a, a social sense where that if, if Israel rebelled against God, there would be punishment that would occur for several generations uh, on the nation of Israel. And we know this sadly finally came to be um, when, as you get into Second Kings, Second Chronicles, and it uh, references Assyria coming in uh, and taking the, the northern tribe of Israel captive and uh, Babylon coming in and taking the, the southern tribe ca- into captivity because of their national sin, because nationally they chose to reject and rebel against God. So there are consequences for sin, but in, in this passage here, uh, Jesus reveals that, that many times suffering brings about good, brings about the glory of God. Verse 3 says, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And so uh, many people find this a very comforting passage, that God uses tragedy, that God uses um, uh, difficulties in and, uh, di- and uh, different, uh, difficult things in our life to bring about his glory. He, he said that this man was, was blind from his birth, that, that God would be glorified through him. And so the, you, you think of the culture you're living in at the, as this blind man was living in, the repu- his reputation would be somewhat looked down upon. People would think of him as, as, as someone who sinned and, and perhaps even sinned before he was born, as, as some of the Jewish writings uh, wrote about, or um, perhaps his parents had sinned. He had to live with this reputation, uh, that uh, falsely, false reputation, that, that there was probably some uh, underlying sin as, re, as a result of this. But as Jesus walked by him, as Jesus talked to his disciples, he said, This man... And his parents are not, are, have not sinned and resulted in this sickness and this um, uh, congenital disease. Uh, God has brought this about for his own glory. One person writes about this, he says, God overruled the disaster of the child's blindness so that when the child grew to manhood, he might, by recovering his sight, see the glory of God in the face of Christ and others, seeing this work of God, might turn to the true light of the world. As we go through this passage here, there's, um, there, there's uh, John um, u- uses his words to uh, portray um, the, uh, Christ as the light of the world. And this, in just a few chapters back, um, uh, John mentions, uh, John portrays Christ as the light of the world. And in through that, uh, how he can overcome blindness, uh, physical blindness, and in the greater sense, can overcome spiritual blindness. So as we go through this, even this chapter, um, the, the pictures of being of blind and seeing and light and dark is, uh, comes forth in this as uh, we see that God, God's point for this man, God's uh, purpose for this man. Uh, one, one thing that's interesting here that these disciples 
were looking backwards, but Christ was looking forwards. The disciples were looking back and saying, what happened before? Why did he, why did he become blind? What, what sin caused this? And Christ looked forward and said, I'm going to use this affliction, this adversity, this blindness for my glory. Uh, and I think that's a, a strong point that we can look at as we, as we go through life. We tend to always look backwards and say, what if, or why, do, why does this happen, or why, why this affliction? And God wants us to look forward and saying, to say, God can use this for his glory. God can bring about good um, even out of bad situations. Christ went on to say, I must work the work of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming. Again, that picture of, of, light, of day, night, light, darkness, being able to see and be able to not see. So there's an urgency that Christ is saying here that we must use this time to bring about the glory of God. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Um, the, verse 6, um, Christ, uh, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, annoyed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. What, what seems odd about that? So, so Christ made this um, mixture of clay out, of, out of, some, of some of the dirt from the ground and from some of his spittle and, and anointed his eyes, but the man couldn't see yet. So did you catch that? Christ said, I want you to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He's telling a blind man, I want you to... to, to to walk this distance and uh, wash your eyes there. So I was thinking about this. I was just thinking like, okay, so a blind man, you're telling a blind man to go walk, to travel some distance. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of an odd uh, thing to say. Um, I tell you, in likely the, the distance would have been over, over a thousand yards or so. Um, and so, again, this comes into play later on in the passage uh, when, the, when the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders uh, accuse Christ of, of violating the Sabbath day, walking over a thousand yards, um, he, Christ could have healed him on the spot, but he chose to have him uh, show his obedience. You can't, you can, we, we get that same sense in the Old Testament when, uh, when Naaman was, was told to go wash in the Jordan River. He could have been healed on the spot. Elisha could, have, uh, Elisha could have healed him on the spot, but he was told to go and do that. Obedience reflects the faith that he had. Um, it's also interesting here that the um, Pool of Siloam, uh, it, John mentions it's the, the meaning behind that is sent. So just as Christ was sent from the Father, uh, Christ sends this man uh, to, to go wash in the Pool of Siloam. Uh, so there's a submission that needs to take place. There's a, an obedience that he was to, to go about. Um, um, verse 8, um, the man comes back, and when he comes back, he's able to see. So obviously right away, it's very apparent that he's no longer blind. He's able to see. Um, and it says, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, 
wait a second, is this, is this that same God that, that used to sit here begging? And, the, and there was a, a big disagreement there. Some were saying, uh, he looks kind of the same, but I don't think it's the same person. Another person. Other people were saying, I think that's the same person. And, and John writes that he says, I'm the one. I was the one who was blind. I now see. And the people uh, began questioning him. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to, and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. And then they asked him, where is he? And, and, and he said, I do not know. So you, you picture this situation on this blind man when Jesus anointed his eyes, he couldn't see, so he doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. He couldn't, he couldn't identify Christ to these people. And they're questioning, where, where, did, where did Jesus go? And he's like, I don't know. He told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and I obeyed, and I, I had faith that, this would, would, that he would heal me, and he did. But I can't tell you who, who Jesus is or where he went. Um, and so... Um, so these people are, 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 are confused here. Like, what, how, did, how did this happen? Where is Jesus? Where is this Christ? Uh, and there's a disagreement here. So this is the first of four times this man has to explain, that, that, that John records, has to explain what happened to him. And it's such a beautiful picture of the salvation process. Uh, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians how we are blinded by sin. And this man was born blind. We're, we're born with, that, with our sin nature. And we have no capacity to recognize the Savior or to find Him on our own. And as this man was questioned, he had no way of, of pointing others to, to, to Christ. He had no way of identifying uh, who Jesus was. Um, this, this blind man could not have been healed had Jesus not sought Him and revealed Himself to Him. Again, in salvation, we can't get to salvation on our own unless, unless Christ, unless the Father comes to us and He reveals Himself to us. And just as the blind man was healed only when he obeyed Jesus' commands and washed in the pool, sinners are saved when they humbly and obediently embrace the truth of the gospel. Um, with... Uh, um, with uh, phones and GPSs now, it's easy to, to get directions to go places. And I don't know if you like, like seeing on your phone where, where the directions are taking you or just hearing. How many can you can just like just hearing it can, can, uh, can uh, yeah, you, I don't. I like to see, to see where I go. So this is our, our, our constant, like, uh, I, I want to see where I'm going. I want to see where the map is taking me. Um, uh, but sometimes even that can, uh, can, can mess you up. We were driving in Chicago. And so as soon as I say Chicago, our kid's going to say, oh, yeah, Dad, the time you almost killed us. So the, we were driving along Lakeshore, and it told me to take a left. And I, would just, I took a left, and there was oncoming traffic. And thankfully, the cars parted around us, and it was, all cars was, ah! And so they, they never let me live that one down. Uh, but I contrast that with the situation, another situation, that ended well. That one didn't bad, but ended that, that went better. I was Julie and I were um, in Southern California, and we were driving with another pastor. And I was driving, and we were driving through L.A. And this pastor sat in the back seat, and he was telling me directions. Uh, and it was probably the most relaxed driving I've ever been in a big city. He just knew when to say, "Okay, get in this lane, go in this lane," and we just went through L.A. And it, 
So it was a, someone, and you have to trust somebody. Somebody they have to know what they're doing. They have to know where they're going. And sometimes it's, you want to see it on the on the screen or on your phone. And I, and I look at that, and I, think that, and I think to this passage right here, that there are so many times that we want to see what's going on ahead of us. We want to know what's going on. And it is hard to just hear just the, the turn by turn. Okay, you just need to be in the next lane. But I want to see the next, I, you know, I, know, I want to know where I'm turning up there. I don't want to know my final destination. How many miles between now and the next road? Those are things we'd sometimes like to know. And in life, oftentimes we don't know those that future well enough to, to know, okay, in, in this amount of time, you're going to be turning that direction and heading for this, and God wants to move you there at this time. No, we don't know all those future things. But we're told to obey. We're told to, as this man, go and wash and just that next step of obedience. And we have to have that faith um, to, to, obey, to obey God when he wants us to make, take that next step. And we avoid crisis when we take that next step. Faith is patient during suffering. It also, um, you can have faith that perseveres uh, despite opposition. So our second point here is you can have faith that perseveres despite opposition. Uh, verse 13 starts, starts out saying, and this is, so the people have that, the, that immediately were around him are, are very amazed at what has happened, this man is seeing, and they, and they take him to the Pharisees. I don't think this was any type of nefarious or evil intent on their part, but they just want to say, they want to go to their local religious leaders and say, this man used to be blind, and he can see now, and we don't understand what happened. What just happened? So they brought him who was formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So again, right here, um, the, you can say the plot thickens. John says, now it was the Sabbath when Jesus made clay. So you're like, oh, so? Well, the Pharisees had been very particular, um, were very particular on how much you could do, how many steps you could take. Uh, and as I mentioned before, generally, the, that was about a thousand yards you could take, um, and Jesus had told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, probably intentionally, a little bit more than those. Uh, it was allowed that people could save the life of somebody else if it was an emergency situation. But of course, this situation here was not an emergency. Jesus didn't have to save, uh, heal this man's blindness on the Sabbath. But Jesus was pointing out that their laws were very uh, external and uh, motivated just to, to be a show in front of other people. Verse 15, now the Pharisees asked, also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay out of my eyes, and I washed, and I see. So he's very uh, succinct here. He just gives the very uh, minimal details. And I kind of picture him as, he, I mean, he was a, a beggar, somebody who uh, was, was looked down upon, and all of a sudden he's brought before the Pharisees, the, the very leaders who were, looked up upon in the community as being the pinnacle of, of uh, relig- religiosity. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things, do, do, do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind men again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been born blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. So, so apparently the Pharisees um, didn't know him well enough and 
probably hadn't even ever noticed him um, before. And they're like, well, you probably weren't really blind. You probably weren't uh, born blind like you say you were. Um, so in this interrogation, uh, they are uh, asking him what really went on in kind of a uh, ironic fashion here. These experts of the law are the ones that say to him, um, uh, verse 17, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And they know who they're talking about. They, they know they're talking about, about Jesus and that they've already had uh, issue with him and they've already been trying to uh, put down his ministry. Um, and the, and the, these experts of the law asked his opinion. What, what do you think he is? And his, his reply is, he's a prophet. Um, and uh, again, this just, his, his replies are very, very short, succinct, very minimal. He probably has a, a little bit of fear that he's standing before these religious, religious leaders, probably taken to some part of the temple or the synagogue, some area where he is being questioned. So these men um, decide, okay, so why don't we call his parents in here and then we'll find out what really happened. And this is probably the, the, the most sad part about the whole story. The most sad part of the whole story, um, verse 19, and they asked them, the parents, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How, how does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. All right, they, just, they just pushed the eject button. They just took themselves out of the picture. They didn't want to deal with this. And John reveals to them why they did this. Um, verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. They had fear of man. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confesses that he was Christ, that he would be what? Put out of the synagogue. And they're like, okay, so just go to a different synagogue, or and we kind of picture this in today. Or we can just go to a different church, or but this was their their community. They would be rejected in a in a more in a community wise. You might picture um, other other religions that that really push the if somebody walks away from a religion that they they're kind of rejected by their whole family and community. And so, as we look at this here, we see. Why, these, why the parents, or why, we'll say even specifically the father, um, pushed the eject button, decided to walk away from the situation, did not defend his son, because they were fearful. They had fear of man. They didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. They didn't want to be, uh, become pariahs of their community. Um, verse 23, it repeats it. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Again, the second time that John mentions this, uh, emphasizing the fact that they didn't want to have anything to do with defending their son. And it's such a, such a sad part about this, about this situation here. Um, uh, one, one commentator said this about uh, what, um, what they were saying. He said, such a confession has implications for one's life within the community, and the parents we're not willing to be put out of the synagogue for the sake of Jesus. Um, they, these parents feared the Jews. Um, and it was already a thing that if anybody um, uh, confessed Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, 
that they would be no longer accepted in the synagogue, no longer accepted in their communities. Um, and again, they were, they were very vague in their answers. Like, yeah, this is our son. He was born blind, but we really don't know what happened to him. I mean, this, again, you picture this. This should have been such a joyful occasion. Their son, who has been blind since birth, can see now. And they should be able to rejoice and, and, and believe and have faith in Jesus and um, be able to confess um, that that Jesus is the Messiah, that these, these signs point that he has power, that he is God. But they couldn't do that. They um, dreaded the, the consequence of being put out of the synagogue. Um, verse 24, the, this is the third overall interrogation, the second time that the, that the Pharisees interrogate him, so they bring him back. Um, so again, they called the man who was born blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. So he's like, well, what are they saying there? They're, they're not wanting, they're not asking for a hymn. They're not asking to him to, to praise God in some uh, way of singing. But they're asking him to say that, that, that Jesus is not God. They're wanting him to, to, to reject the power of Jesus, that he is God, that he is Messiah, um, and admit that Jesus is a sinner. Um, verse 25, this is again the man's response. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. Again, so th- the blind man has, only, has not even seen Jesus with his eyes. He's only heard him, only had this little um, small encounter with him. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? So, so follow, this, follow this blind man's conversation with him. He's getting frustrated with these uh, Pharisees who keep repeating themselves and keep trying to push a confession out of him. I and mean, so, again, um, imagine this setting here that these religious leaders are, are kind of like a judge or a jury coming to him. Um, it sounds very similar to how uh, in the Old Testament, Joshua approached Achan and said, admit that you're a liar, admit, or admit, admit that you stole things um, out of Jericho and that you disobeyed God's command. Or um, picture Peter talking to Ananias and, and Sapphira saying, what did you just do? You lied, right? And so that, this is the way that they're talking to him, trying to get a confession out of him. Um, and this is what he says, whether or not he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him again, Why did, um, what did he do to you? And how did he open your eyes? I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? So what was he saying there? What, you you got to kind of picture this. The, the, I mean, he... Maybe he had brothers and sisters, and he knew how to press their buttons. <laughs> uh, but he was pressing their buttons. He, he knew that what he was saying was going to make them angry, saying, why, why keep asking? Are, are you interested in becoming a disciple too? And so look at this, and the, and the, the humor of, of, of the situation. They did not find it humorous at all. Um, verse 28, Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. So again, you look at this, and, and you, we, we, we see that 
that they are acting all pious and all high and mighty and saying, well, maybe you're Jesus' disciple, but we're the disciple of Moses. We know the Pentateuch. We know what Moses wrote. And the ironic thing about it is that Jesus had, in a, in a, in a recent passage, had just talked about how Moses and the, 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 the first five books of the Bible were, were, were the, the law was to bring, to point people to Christ, not to replace uh, Christ. Um, and so as we, it's, so th- th- this man who was born blind, this man who was healed, he didn't have the fear of man like his, his parents did, like his father did. And it's such a sad thing to, to, to see how much the, the fear of man can destroy us. Um, in uh, 1628, there was a um, Swedish king, Gustav II, and he built, or he had a ship built called the, the Vassar. Um, and this, uh, he was trying to um, build up his navy and protect uh, the country of Sweden from some of the other uh, surrounding con- uh, countries and their navies. Uh, and uh, so he, w- he decided to um, uh, build, build this uh, a massive ship that was able to defend his country, um, the Vassar. And he had his chief architect um, uh, design this plan. And so the, uh, the, the plan began as a, the ship was, was, about, it was supposed to be about 120 feet long. Uh, but uh, Gustav uh, kept changing the plans. And the, the, the ship architect must have been a people pleaser. He must have, but he, he went along with this. I mean, as, I mean they, they had the wood cut for this, this ship. And then uh, the, and the king said, I want you to build it bigger. So they had to recut all the wood for the ship. Um, and then at first the ship was, to, was supposed to have 32 cannons and, and the king came back um, after the, much of the ship had been built and said, I want to have two rows of cannons, I want us to have 64 cannons. And this kept on happening and, and finally it came to the point where the ship architect actually had a, had a heart attack and died in the situation because it, the stress became too much for him. And then, they, so they replaced him with another architect, the, the second in command. And, um, the, the Swedish king came back and said, I, I want to have 700 carvings to go on this ship. It needs to be impressive. And so th- this made the, the, um, the process take a couple of years longer. Uh, and so finally, the king says, all right, I want to show off this ship to our, our dignitaries, our country. It hadn't been quite completed. It had been tested. Um, so they, but, but the king's um, desire uh, happened, and they, they, they wanted to please him. They were, they were people pleasers. Uh, and so the ship starts to sail out, uh, and it hadn't even gone a mile. It was about three-quarters of a mile out, and they um, decided to open up the gun ports to fire the cannons and to show this big, massive display of, of the firepower. And a big gust of wind blew the ship uh, further, far enough over that the water came in the... the the, uh, these gun ports, and the ship uh, took in water and actually sank less than a mile away. Um, and this, this, the most expensive ship in uh, Sweden's history um, sank on its maiden voyage a mile out. So, uh, look at that as, and, and think through just the destructive aspects of the fear of man. And these shipbuilders and these people who wanted to please the king and do what he asked, no one stood up to, to uh, some of his uh, foolish requests. 
And I think through this, and, I, and, I, and again, I think through this passage here about these parents and this father who were people pleasers, who did not want to take a stand, who did not have faith uh, that, that God would sustain them even during when people opposed them. They took the easy way out. And it's such an easy thing to do to be absent or to, to walk away from a tough situation or to just not take on the daily responsibilities because, you're, because of being too tired. Or, and many times as fathers, we're, we miss opportunities to, to disciple our children or we um, allow the fear of man to uh, take away our, uh, d- diminish our, our leadership in the family and not uh, do res- our responsibilities. Uh, this man who was born blind uh, shows that faith can stand up against opposition. Uh, the last point we're going to look at here is you can have faith that penetrates the pious, that penetrates the pious. Um, and as this man faces uh, abandonment, as he faces rejection, um, Christ uh, came back. And we'll see this here in, in a couple verses here. Um, Verse 30, it goes on to talk about the, the blind man. He answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone who is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. So this man, in his, his very limited knowledge of, of Jesus, is saying he can't possibly be a sinner uh, because God doesn't hear sinners, he doesn't respond to sinners, and, he, and, and Jesus through the power of God, opened my eyes. So he can't be a sinner. Now, verse 32, Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. And this, and this man were not from God. He could do nothing. And they answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and you were teaching us. And they cast him out. So finally, the, the, what has been dreaded by the parents happened to the son, that he was cast out of the, the, the synagogue. He was not allowed to worship for at least a certain period of time uh, because, of, because he did not denounce uh, that, that Jesus was God. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, seen him, and that he is, and he who is talking with you. And he said, "Lord, I believe." And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, "For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see my, that those who do not see may see, and those who, uh, who see may be made blind." And some of the Pharisees who were with him also heard these words and said to him, "Are you we blind also?" And Jesus said, "If you were blind." You would have no son, but sin, but now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. All right, as we close up this passage here, we see that um, Jesus um, uh, sees that this man is in crisis and that, that he has just been cast out of, or he, he's heard um, through other people that he's just been cast out of the synagogue. He's not allowed to worship. The, the Pharisees have just uh, pronounced judgment on him, and he circles back to, to talk to him. Uh, and it must have been such a, a beautiful picture of, of a shepherd going back to a sheep who is wandering or a shepherd going back to a sheep who is in danger. And how as this man, this formerly blind man who has just been 
confronted and judged by the, the ruling religious leaders of the day. And he comes back to offer him comfort, to explain who he is, to say, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Do you believe in the Son of God? And, and we see right away that, that he does. You've both seen him, that he... You've both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Again, this picture of not being able to see at the beginning of the, of the chapter. And by the end of this chapter, he beholds, he sees with his own eyes, Jesus the Messiah. And it's such a, a wonderful picture of how with salvation, our eyes can be opened. Or we can, when we used to not be able to understand uh, spiritual things, now we can after we place our faith in him, after we, um, after we confess, after we believe and worship him. Um, the, uh, he formally, this blind man formally couldn't see, didn't know who Jesus was, had no hope of physical or spiritual sight, and the Father reached out to him. The Father came to him, and he received his sight. Um, I hope that this passage is an encouragement to us that we can respond in faith. We can have courageous faith um, despite adversity, despite um, opposition, despite rejection sometimes, um, that, that, that Jesus does not depart from us, that he is always with us, that he strengthens us and enables us to, to lead in the way we should. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, your love for us. We thank you for the, the great picture of salvation that is uh, portrayed here. Uh, I pray that you would help us to, um, to be able to um, have an excitement and to be able to share this faith with other people and to be able to make a difference with those around us. I pray that you would... Um, Help us to be able to uh, lead and disciple in the way that you intend for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as we uh, finish our service today, just a, um, uh, a couple announcements here. We have an offering plate in the back. Um, if you have your offerings, you can place it in there. Also, um, the 4th of July picnic is on July 3rd. Uh, it's a